Dog Day Afternoon. Rain Dogs. This is off the list. Welcome back to Off the List. Oh my We're back. gosh, it's us again. Back from the dead, the dead, Back which is just dead. mediocre adulthood where you have full-time jobs and you're trying to struggle to just make your ends meet. <laughs> I was listening to our last episode uh, earlier this morning and I realized that we had actually been gone for what would be almost a year. In May, it mm-hmm. would have been a year. I know. So we were gone for a year, but we're back. In case the two and a half of you that listened to this show wondered where we went, we went all over the place. What did we do, Ben? I mean, mostly just worked. <laughs> mostly yeah. just figured out how to be adults, which was an yeah. interesting progression. And I'm still figuring that one out. But, um, you know, we can hold our hands up to the screen that we got yeah, tattoos together. We got matching tattoos together. Yes. Um, and we went on like two really great trips together we always stayed in touch and we were always talking shit about music and movies it's just now we're finally back on the grind here again we're going to go into a schedule here of every three weeks because now that we're established adults we can manage that yes we can try (laughs) (laughs) we can try i also just want to add that since our brief departure from this show i've made two other best friends and they are your parents so you know there's that (laughs) and they Um, they love you more than they love me let's be real here like (laughs) and i mean it's because they have good taste (laughs) yeah exactly another thing that has happened since we last recorded this is i moved and i now am in an apartment alone so if it sounds echoey that's why it's because i'm still furnishing but b if it sounds loud it's because my apartment is loud Wow, that was <laughs> that <all>. was incredible <laughs> timing. <laughs> so there will be lots of that. Um, uh, uh, we're just gonna try and work through it, but that's the that's what the situation is gonna be for the foreseeable future. And with that, if you've listened to all of this and you're like still here, but you're also wondering um, what the heck is going on. Um, Welcome to Off the List. This is the podcast where we have uh, lists and things that are on those lists that we want to cross off those lists, namely movies and music. I'm Nadira. I provide the movies. That's Ben. He provides the music. Nailed it. A year off and you fucking (laughs) nailed it. Let's go. (laughs) I only, only because I listened to it this morning. (laughs) This episode, our movie is Dog Day Afternoon. Our album is Rain Dogs. And I do believe that since I'm the one that is talking, that we are going to start with the movie, no? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into it. Dog Day Afternoon is a 1975 movie directed by Sidney Lumet. Um, Sidney Lumet is one of the most prolific, world-renowned directors in the history of directing. He's been nominated for Best Director five times, I think. He's directed movies as popular as 12 Angry Men, Serpico, Network, The Wiz, and many, many, many more. Yeah, I know. That's... You know, we, yeah, that's something for us to talk about. (laughs) I don't know about on this podcast, but maybe at a different time, because it has such an interesting history. Anyway, um, for those who don't know, Sidney Lumet was born in Philly. 
he was raised in New York, but he was born in Philly. Mm-hmm. And so we claim that. this is probably known as one of his i would say probably like top five films i would say um so he directed it it was written by frank pearson who is also just a just a a landmark screenplay writer he wrote a star is or he directed the 1976 version of a star is born with barbara streisand he has writing credits on literally everything including one of the most classic films of all time cool hand luke and Mm -hmm. he became like a consultant slash writer on mad men starting in like season five in 2012 and the good wife so he's frank's been around and also we should include this in our uh instagram situation but frank pearson has one of my absolute favorite wikipedia photos that i've ever seen for anyone's wikipedia profile i'm looking it up right now right now i'm looking it up whoa yes oh my god i know it's it's iconic what a Um, legend he's (laughs) He's iconic stanced up with the nikon (laughs) and his dad fit i love it so much as if this man didn't literally co-write cool hand luke dog day afternoon is a highly 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 critically acclaimed movie it has a 96 percent score on rotten tomatoes it has an 8 out of 10 on imdb it is a biopic which i think is really interesting which we will talk about it stars very very famous actor al pacino secondary very very famous actor John Cazale and a whole bunch of other actors including James Broderick Charles Sterning Chris Sarandon which uh, uh, former husband of Susan Sarandon which I think is fascinating it's based on an article in Life magazine titled The Boys in the Bank written by P.F. Kluge which chronicles a story of a bank robbery gone wrong. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, seven Golden Globes. It won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. It's in the National Film Registry. Is like a uh, when you when you are a film that makes it into the National Film Registry, you are a film that the United States government deems worthy of preserving. Mm. So it's you know very very famous movie. One of my all time favorite movies, specifically because it is one of the single best written movies I have ever seen. Before we get into what it is actually about, because I just talked for forever, (laughs) I'm going to hand it over to you, Ben. What did you think of this movie? Yeah, so this is one of the rare movies for Off the List that I had the pleasure of watching twice because, you know, I didn't just watch it once, have immediate reaction. I watched it, a little bit of time passed, and then I watched it again to, you know, when we said we were going to start up again. And... Interestingly, I had a pretty similar reaction both times, which was that it felt almost like this like heightened version of like a dramatical play or of of, of, like a drama play or of Mm -hmm. like a theater play, but heightened to just the perfect amount that it wasn't so high that I was like, this is an impossible. Everyone is like so perfectly awkward and so perfectly like a little bit off, but also delivering these really seamless lines that it leaves you experiencing such a slow (laughs) and just like, and for lack of a better word, embarrassing train wreck. Um, No, it is embarrassing. Yeah. in like a really captivating and engaging way. Um, I, think that I did not know that Al Pacino like ever was even in movies like this yeah. so it was really crazy to see his performance and I loved it 
both times, but each time the thing that always stood out the most to me was the very silly and weird human moments of like taking care of people Mm -hmm. across this movie Mm -hmm. like the way that the female receptionists take care Mm -hmm. of the bank robbers Mm -hmm. like throughout the entire time is it's easily the highlight of the movie it's the thing that always like i always think of first when i see it it um has one of the most successful plot twists i think that i've ever encountered which isn't a plot twist if you know the real story because that part of it is true but is not something you would ever have anticipated when the movie starts. So in real life on August 22nd, 1972, by the way, um, on this day, my mother would have turned one. So, <laughs> so <laughs> this is a big day. This is so a big day out, for the United States. So shout, out, shout out to my mom. Shout out to Nicole. On August 22nd, 1972, John Wadowitz, along with two accomplices, attempted to rob a branch of Chase Bank in Brooklyn, New York. It goes horribly wrong. It turns into a hostage situation slash standoff. Wadowitz and Sal had seven employees of the bank held hostage for 14 hours in the dead heat of summer. The reason he did it, as the movie tells, is to pay for his partner's male-to-female gender-affirming surgery. Now, that has been slightly contested. There is a columnist slash investigative reporter, journalist for The Village Voice at the time named Arthur Bell, who said that though that was one incentive, it was actually secondary to the larger incentive of it being a planned mafia operation gone wrong. But as far as Wadowitz maintained the story until his death, which I believe was in 2006, it was to pay for his partner's uh, gender-affirming surgery. So in this movie, it starts out with one of the most perfectly executed... Just If, if we're comparing this to um, Reservoir Dogs in terms of movies that we have discussed on this show that involve bank robberies, now there are at least two. <laughs> um, we'll find a third somehow and we can create a whole tier list. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should. We should. If we're comparing them... Reservoir Dogs is a movie about a bank robbery that goes wrong, but not because people are sort of bumbly incompetent. It's just a lot of things happen. Obviously, the whole point of that movie is that someone sold them out, et cetera, et cetera. This is a movie that starts off with a bank robbery that you can tell is being done by two people who are, for lack of a better word, idiots when it comes to robbing a bank. Technically three. Technically, Technically three. three at the start. It's true. Technically three at the sh- at the start. One of them has enough sense to leave. Yeah. So it starts off with this bank robbery that's like really hard to describe because it's it's funny. You think that the movie you're like, is this a oh, comedy? Yeah. <laughs> but you also sort of feel a, a sense of sympathy for them because they're kind of like little kids just bumbling around a store or something. You know what I mean? Like you can tell from right away that they are not there because they are bad people and that they don't necessarily want to hurt anybody. And I think that empathy for everyone involved carries throughout the entire movie. And I think that's a part mm. of the reason why I love this movie because when the robbery devolves to the point where obviously everyone in the, in the bank is uh, agitated and stressed out, but they all, like you were saying before, still kind of take care of each other because they all know that, you know, they just wanted to get in and get out with the money. And obviously they don't want to hurt anybody and they're, probably good guys the whole reason why Sonny is doing this is because he fell in love with someone who is transgender who and 
and to be clear, they have a very complicated relationship that is like already on the rocks, but even mm-hmm. by the time that we meet them. And so he falls in love. With and, one- and their name is Leon. Yes. So he falls in love with someone named Leon who expressed to Sonny that she wants to get gender affirming surgery and Sonny doesn't have the money to pay for it. It really stresses him out. He becomes sort of volatile and he decides that he wants to rob this bank in order to help his partner pay for the surgery. And they are married, by the way. And there's a there's a very um, just like literally 30 seconds where they're recreating this television broadcast about the hostage situation and they include all of this background about their relationship and about their marriage. Um, and they include the one tidbit that the reverend who had married them had been whatever the sort of like religious version of disbarred is disrobed. I don't know for carrying out the act. It's like little moments like that, that really make the movie incredible. All of those small details. Mm. And so when it gets to this point where again, this movie was it made in 1975 and they are portraying a complex queer relationship involved yeah. in a like sort of major crime and a felony while like still portraying that while also portraying that everyone involved is a good person at heart and there's nothing wrong about the relationship. There's no judgment there. The sort of actual judgment that takes place is the judgment on the quality of their relationship, not necessarily the like the gender or whatever of their yeah. relationship. All the commentary on their relationship is that they actually like aren't good for each other, <laughs> aren't good for each other. <laughs> they don't treat each other well. Instead of it being like, oh, boo hoo, mm. like this person is trans and it's a queer relationship. You know, it's treated with such care and empathy as if it's just a fact. The other thing I wanted to mention, you know, bringing back an old idea of kind of like a favorite moment, which is a weird moment or a small moment from the movie, is when they're interviewing Sonny. The TV station has called into the bank and they're interviewing Sonny. And I think this really kind of sums up a lot of the empathy of the movie and the way it portrays their characters as both like bumbling but also very earnest and true is they're interviewing him and the TV announcer is just like, Sonny, why are you doing this? Like, why, why didn't, why didn't you just get a job? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "What get a job as a, a bank teller? Like, what, what, what kind of joke is this? Mm-hmm. What do they make? Like one seventy five? And he like turns and back he turns to and the, he asked. yeah, yeah, he asked, yeah, he asked the the actual bank tellers. He's like, "How much do you make?" And they're like, "Less than that." Yeah, like it just like they, there's just like so much like genuine like yeah the sort of solidarity in this movie which i guess is sort of just reminiscent of the actual event is very striking to me there's a general sort of class solidarity Mm. that overrides everything and just makes everyone human both in that sense that this man has been pointing a gun at me all day and he's literally holding me hostage but he's sticking up for the fact that I don't get paid that much and yeah. when and the entire crowd of like what seems like all of fucking Brooklyn that yeah. <laughs> that that's, uh, is outside that's like cheering they're literally cheering for him and he starts shouting Attica in reference to mm-hmm. the um, Attica prison riots and it's just very very interesting the way class solidarity plays out in this movie it's one thing to understand how everyone in the room feels about what's going on it's another thing to see that the crowd is responding to him in a way that the police are getting so pissed off at because they're cheering Mm. him on and they're not really helping the police do their jobs or whatever it is that they think that they're doing 
there was just a lot of risk. There was a lot that yeah. could have gone wrong. There was a lot of steps, missteps that could have been taken. And I think it's an important story to tell, not only because, not only because the actual partner who in real life um, was not named Leon, but was named Elizabeth Eden um, died of AIDS related complications with pneumonia. Mm. So it had to honor a lot of things. It had to honor a lot of sort of facets and versions of life. You just know that their story as it is told in the movie won't end well. And you also know that their story in real life didn't end well. And the movie had a lot of reckoning with just human life and love and relationships and identity to deal with. And I think it it did it very successfully while telling just a very, very beautiful story about humanity, which is that like, like there's a lot of things to take away from this movie. But the thing that I think I most often take away is that no matter what kind of zany fucked up relationship or situation rather you find yourself in, there will always be people there who will find the humanity in the situation and the humanity in other people. And Mm. you never know why you could be going through something. Like you could be going through something for what is actually a very understandable reason, right? Like what this actually ends up being is not only a commentary on class and class solidarity and not only a commentary on just sort of like New York culture (laughs) and all that stuff, but it ends up being a commentary on how fucking hard it was for queer people to just exist and be who they wanted to be and the lengths that someone would have to go to to try and support someone in that, right? And that the movie can do all of those things is really beautiful and astounding while still making you laugh while still making you you know smile even though Sonny was you know putting himself in a terrible situation where he had no chance of actually robbing this bank successfully it showed really deeply how like you were pointing to the forces outside of him and the things that controlled him in his life were the reasons he was there and even then like this man already has a previous wife with two kids. There's even love between those two. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's no... On paper, this guy would be the worst fucking guy. On paper, this guy left his wife and his two children to have this whole other relationship that wasn't even good, and he ended up putting people in danger and robbing a bank. But when you watch this movie, all you feel is empathy for him at the end of the mm. day. Because you know that the only crime he's ever committed before he walked into that bank was loving anyone. And it takes a very successful movie to take what's on paper and still have you arrive at that conclusion instead of any other conclusion. I do think that this is a perfect time to pivot to our album, Rain Dogs, by the goat, the legend, Tom Waits, whose music I hadn't really listened to before. I'm more familiar with him as someone who used to make music but now currently acts and i think Mm -hmm. i said in the previous episode about a year ago that i love tom waits because he's not in many movies that i've seen but every time he is in a movie i've seen he's the best part of the movie um and there's so many i just want to like quickly run down the insane amount like his his uh credentials are strong bro he goes hard Mm -hmm. he was in the outsiders the fisher king uh dracula like the 1992 dracula with gary oldman keanu reeves winona Ryder, anthony hopkins that's sick i know (laughs) the ballad of buster scruggs 
the Dead Don't Die, two multiple Jim Jarmusch movies, which we should really get some Jim Jarmusch going on in here, but The Dead Don't Die and Coffee and Cigarettes. And my favorite appearance from him in one of my all-time favorite movies is his appearance in Seven Psychopaths. I don't know if you've seen Seven Psychopaths, but if not, we've got to add it to the list. We'll add it to the list. It's, It's on the list. So tell me about... Why you chose this. Tell me about mm-hmm. Rain Dogs. Tell me about Tom Waits. Tell me everything. Yes. Yeah, so you already did a great job of kind of introducing your relationship towards Tom Waits. But just to speak a little bit more generally about Tom, he was your very classic, in his own words, like suburban Californian kid um, where he grew up and he quickly became dispossessed and dispossessed with society and obsessed with Bob Dylan, with hip hop culture, with um, jazz culture and dropped out and became a part of the beat movement, um, which was really focused in on a lot of these kind of countercultural ideals. Mm -hmm. And in this focus, in his first really like big arc of his career, like you said, he was a musician and his music in his career is defined by three major phases you've got his phase while he's still living in california which is early career a lot of these albums the most famous of which is probably blue valentine um have a lot of those really strong bob dylan influences you can hear these kind of like wordy ranty ideas coming through so he moves to new york and he marries this woman named kathleen brennan who really pushes him into relationships with one band in particular captain beefheart captain beefheart is infamously known um just to keep it short for making some of the wildest music in the american canon lovely so tom comes in with this very focused like kind of country style he definitely has his flares he's definitely got all these genre mixes going on but then he interacts with captain beefheart And then he goes on this three-album cycle, specifically for Trombone Fish Swords, which is the first one, Mm -hmm. Rain Dogs, Mm -hmm. the album that we're going to be talking about today, and then Frank's Lover Stories. And of those three albums, the most iconic of which is Rain Dogs, it became this marker on his career the fans of Tom Waits call themselves the Rain Dogs because of this album. Period. This album kind of serves as this perfect encapsulation, in my opinion, of his career, where you kind of catch all the different aspects of what he's working on, his influences, his style. So I think it's the perfect introduction to his music at the same time as well. And it's definitely one of the more listenable tom waits albums um which is saying something because there are parts of this album that are very sour and he already has a very off-putting voice because it is very deep it's very gravelly and rain dogs is a loose concept album based off of the miscreants of new york or as like i like to say it the lollygaggers the tomfooleries the jokers the tricksters the jokesmiths the jesters the hooligans the charlatans the scoundrels rapscallions miscreates joskers hoodlums scallywags clowns quisters and harlequins all of the like so me as as they meander around new york so nadira and as one of these indelible people to our society (laughs) i ask what did you think of your representation on this album right 
I thought that it was very, very interesting the way these two, the way this movie and this album sort of interact with Mm -hmm. each other, both from the dog imagery alone and from the picture that they paint of New York, which is not dissimilar. Very different in vibes, but the actual, what they're saying about what New York is, is not dissimilar, which I found to be very, very interesting and intriguing. Loved, like, watching. There's a ton. there this is a little bit of spoiler, but there's a ton of empathy on this yeah. album for very traditionally unempathetic characters. Yes. Um, my very, very, very first impression is that I fucking love this album art, this cover, um, this photograph. Yes. Have you looked? Do you know anything about it? I looked I, it up because yep. I had to. Because at first I was like, "Is that Tom Waits?" Because it kind of looks like Tom Waits, but it's yep. not. Yep. And apparently, it was taken by a Swedish photographer named Anders Peterson at a cafe in Hamburg near the red light district. Um, and it was taken in the late 1960s. And the they have names, and their names are Rose and Lily. And yep. Waits himself described the photograph, and this is my all-time favorite description of any photograph ever, if you know me, because I am a theater kid. Waits himself described the photograph as me and Liza Minnelli right after she got out of the Betty Ford Center. And you know what? Mm. Just tattoo it on my arm, then. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It truly is one of the best album. Also, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of how he found the picture when he was in the process of recording this album, what he wanted to do to really like absorb New York city is he was walking around. He just like was meandered by this photograph and he thought that someone had taken a photograph of him. Yeah. Because when I first saw it, I was like, Oh cute. Who's this lady that he's cozying up to. And then I was like, Oh, I guess it's not him. Yeah. Thoughts on this album. I love this album. I let me just, I had, okay. I have so much to say and we don't have enough time to say it all. One of my (laughs) favorite things to do for this album was to look up the stories that Waits himself has said about some of these songs, because for instance, for the song Ninth and Hannapin, which is actually a spoken word song. Yes. Oh my God. You pay immediately to my favorite song. Let me just. This is why I love you. Let <laughs> me just read to you what this man said about this. And this is like, I couldn't find the original source of the quote, so maybe it's not true, but it's so, it's everywhere. So I feel like it probably mm-hmm. is. Most of the imagery is from New York. It's just that I was on Ninth and Hennepin years ago in the middle of a pimp war, and Ninth and Hennepin always stuck in my mind. There's trouble at Ninth and Hennepin. To this day, I'm sure there continues to be trouble at Ninth and Hennepin. At this donut shop, they were playing Our Day Will Come by Dinah Washington when these three 12-year-old pimps came in in chinchilla coats armed with knives and uh, forks and spoons and ladies, and they started throwing them out in the streets, which was answered by live ammunition over their heads into our booth, and I knew our day was here i remember the names of all the donuts cherry twist lime ricky but mostly i was thinking of the guy going back to philadelphia from manhattan on the metro liner with the new york times looking out the window in new york as he pulls out of the station imagining all the terrible things he doesn't have to be a part of bam now <laughs> the thing about tom waits in his interviews and just tom waits as a person is that he himself he is a caricature just like in his existence you never oh, know yeah. everything that comes out of his mouth is always some blurred line between reality and fantasy and this is an like one of the best examples of ninth and hennepin is one of the best examples of that line blurring and his story behind why he made 
this mm-hmm. spoken word song where the second line is something to the effect of like all the now donuts all the names have the names of, of prostitutes. prostitutes now all the donuts have the names of prostitutes, which like, you're right. And Mm -hmm. it's just, he just, there's something about imagery. There's something about subversion. There's something about like, for instance, clap hands, which is probably my favorite song and blind love. Cause I'm gonna have to sing. I'm going to have to sing to you a portion of blind love, but clap, clap hands is probably my favorite song. He took that meter from a nursery rhyme. And yep. I was, I was thinking many, many, there are multiple songs. I know. And I was thinking, rhymes. why does this sound so familiar? And then I looked it up and I was like, ah, yes, Shirley Ellis's song, the clapping song, which has the original nursery rhyme in it. And I'm just like, okay. And then obviously like we got to, um, downtown train and I was like, now why does this sound familiar? And I was like, ah, Rod Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely familiar with the Rod Stewart version of that hit, but yeah, it's just like, there's something about subversion and the way he subverts reality and what we understand and what's comfortable and illuminates it in a way that makes it uncomfortable yet more real like it has a lot more gravitas that I find to be a talent that only a fucking weirdo could do like he's just the weirdest weirdo in all of weirdo land and I never want him to change like I never want him to be anything other than that when describing a genre most people actually classify it as vaudeville yeah, which, that's fair. Which is that means like literally French theater. Yep, that and tracks. it and it is so accurate to the way that from song to song, he will go from singing in his deep gravelly like country accent voice to the next he's doing this like spoken word. He sounds like he could probably be someone that if they were following me at night, you'd be like, I'm going to die tonight. Yeah. To then the next one, he sounds like your favorite friend that is like three drinks deep at the bar, but you're like, God damn, they can fucking sing. And he combines all of this with the most like absurd and eclectic group of sounds and musicians and Keith Richards is on this album. Yes. Yes. Wild. <laughs> it's like, Wild. it is it is crazy who he got on this album and the list of like, there's an accordion, there's a vibraphone, there is an organ, there is every single like saxophone you could find, a clarinet. And and his my... voice, which I think mm-hmm. is, I mean, you, I think, called it off-putting earlier or some version of that. And I think to some it might be, but I am obsessed with Tom Waits' voice. I think it's off-putting only in the sense that the first time it comes on, you're like, whoa. Like, it's so striking, but immediately once you under, and also it's a little bit off-putting because from song to song, he modulates it so much. Like, Mm -hmm. he changes his style so much that to, like, if you're listening to this album straight through for the first time, your experience will be like, can you please, like, settle on, like, one thing? Because your brain will just, like. No, I liked it. I liked being kicked around. I, f- I I felt like I, he was just like kicking me around and he was like, yeah. okay, now we're here and now we're here. Kicking you around and just like a can here. on the uh, yeah, knife like and hand can on the, <laughs> Like a can on the fucking street. And I'm like, and you know what? Yeah. I am a rusty old can on the street. Kick me mm-hmm. around. This is fun. You know, it's very, very rooted and it's important to know and obviously very clear that it's extremely like, like black in terms of all of its origins in terms of the fact that yeah. like all of the bar music played, all of the rock, all of the blues, the blues, everything. the jazz, yeah. What he does in this album and then in the narratives 
within the album. Yeah, Gun Street Girl is probably one of my favorites for that reason. I love mm-hmm. a traditional blues song that just tells a story. Uh, like a kind of song theme I really love off of the opener, like Singapore, is how he describes these sailors who are looking to like get up to bullshit around Singapore and essentially just be like the worst people you know. But he describes them in such a way that it's clear that they're miscreant, they're a hooligan, or in other words, uh, probably war crimes, um, usually are coming as off-putting and off-steaming from the fact that they have been forced into this situation as soldiers and have no other option. And mm-hmm. it's the kind of line that only someone who has truly like walked in these circles can understand and represent for these characters. Yeah, this man said... And their memories like a train. You can see it getting smaller as it pulls away. And the things you can't remember tell the things mm. you can't forget that history puts a saint in every dream. And I said, what? <laughs> Sir, or, or what? and this is much. Or just the concept mu- of a rain dog. As I was listening to the song and I was like, oh, yes, like all of the people in New York when it rains who just like huddle in the doorway. Oh yeah. I get it. And then also my other favorite part, which is, this is a very common line he said in interviews after this album came out is people would ask him what rain dogs was about. And he would say this one line that I think is so telling, which is he would be like, it's the way that a dog looks at you after it rains kind of asking as if, can you take me home? I feel like my sense been lost. Yeah, he said that. He said that it's kind of a word he made up for people who sleep in doorways. He said, Mm. I mean, New York when it rains, all the peelings and cigarette butts float to the surface like in Taxi Driver when he says someday a real raid's going to come along and wash all the scum off the street. Looks better in the rain like it's been lacquered. And I'm kind of like... You don't deserve all like how, how why how do you, I try? How'd your brain get all that? I, and like it, this is why just did, one why of do your I albums. ever try to say anything or write anything ever? Like why is that something that I do? Because who because I shouldn't have. <laughs> and also beautifully, I think in like closing this album, remarks about the way in which these people have so much hope and beauty in their lives um you know most famously in the line like anywhere i lay my head boys that's where i'm gonna call my home it's yeah there's so much generosity to the fact of these people who are lost and really understanding the beauty and also the dirt that they create by being lost and i just really loved it also just sounds cool and beautiful and comforting while still sounding a little harsh which i feel like is the essence of New York cool, yeah. beautiful, welcoming, charming, but still harsh and cold and off-putting and like abrasive. And I think that he really, really nailed just that vibe. In summary, I would say that Rain Dogs, and I was thinking about this for a very, 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 very long time um, because I think it's really difficult but I quite literally think that Rain Dogs is giving um, Subway Rat. Yes. <laughs> P- wait, Pizza Subway Rat? Sure. Pizza <laughs> Subway Rat. But I think I specifically just mean Subway Rat. 
Mm, just the ever it. whatever the kingdom phylum genus species is of subway rat it's giving that the <laughs> one that currently someone's getting paid like what 300 uh k a Rats year to are. try to get rid of them rid of? But they will yeah. not win they no, will not they, win they will lose that war they will lose that they will lose every battle and the war and i think that the one that will win is rain dogs by tom Waite because it is the essence of subway rat but yeah, I think that that's, I think we can say that both Dog Day Afternoon and Rain Dogs are now firmly off of our lists. They should oh, yeah. definitely be off of yours. I think we both really loved both of these things. It might have taken a year, but these are worth a year. These are excellent. They are. They are worth a year. Excellent movie and album. And now it's time to talk about next episode. Next episode, we are going to be watching the movie Sing Street. Sing Street is a 2016 movie, Irish movie. I don't want to say much too much about it, but it deals with uh, school age, high school age kids. It's set in the 1980s in Dublin, and it involves a teenager who decides that he wants to start his own band. I won't tell you why. I won't say anything about it. I won't tell you the type of music that they sing, but it is. it was a very, very critically acclaimed movie in 2016 when it came out. I think it still has like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah, it's just a very, very good movie. And I chose it because... I wanted something upbeat and something a little bit more lively and bubbly. And there's nothing more lively than a very good UK, Ireland based coming of age movie set in the eighties about some teens starting a band. Like there's nothing that beats that aesthetic and that time period. And this movie is just lovely. Like this movie will make you fall in love with music. It will make you fall in love with life. It will make you fall in love with, other people who would fall in love with music in the same way and it's just so good and the music the original songs are so good they are so good and that is why i chose it and your album for me sir is and to be clear to the listeners i didn't have all of that description basically i just had like time and place and thinking about gaps I was looking for like what's the biggest fish that has not been caught in this area and that is why we are going to be listening to Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division which excited. I think almost everyone in the world can recognize that album art it is yes. kind of the like it is one of the album arts if yeah. we want to like make that joke um and I really love to dive into this album it is a very very influential like British punk, we can do a little bit of British versus Ireland. I mean, we all know Ireland will win, but mm-hmm. it's all good. Um, and I'm also just really fascinated by its trajectory to being this kind of cultural icon that it exists now as, as this like both everyone knows this band and then simultaneously also everyone is like name five songs by this band. Like they were one of those first bands and i really love to dig into all of that like gross like music nerd messiness and how like you know what was the music at the core of it that brought that about 
and I'm so excited to be back here with you, Nindir. I mean, I obviously, you're always here in my life, but I love recording this for it's ourselves. So the two and a half listeners, we love you. And the two we and a half listeners, you. just to be clear, is myself, Nadira, and whatever one half of friend decides to yeah. listen with us. <laughs> whatever friend decides to listen to the first or second half of the episode, but not the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what's going on there. Um, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for being gracious with our time and welcoming us back all half of you and um, <laughs> we will see you next episode bye everyone bye off the list is made by ben and me nadira our artwork is by rebecca pearson and our music is by cedric hawkeyes 